Well, again, thanks so much for being here. We're moving right along at lightning speed. Um, I don't know how you feel about what is happening in the class. And I can say this because with absolute honesty, I am as much anticipating what God will teach in this class by the Spirit as you are. And so we have a lesson given to us by the Lord using an old frog to deliver it, okay? Next week, the Holy Spirit will give another lesson as we move along. And I not always know what the content will be. I know what the general theme is because we're in the ascension. But what the specifics are, I don't know. So I literally, when I begin to seek the Lord and listen and read and, you know, just be available. Uh, it's, for me, this is an adventure. What is going to be the lesson for this next week? And so I'm excited about that because for me, what it does, it accentuates what I already know. It accentuates the presence and the necessity of the Holy Spirit, not only in receiving instruction and in giving instruction, but also in walking in the good of that instruction. Amen? And so, I just had to say that. I am excited about what's happening in the class. Father, as always, Father, this is your class. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture, the recipients of your grace. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, thank you that not only daily, but moment by moment, you declare the glory of your presence, of your goodness, and of your mercy moment by moment as we walk in life with you being indwelt and led by your spirit so father as we listen to you and as we receive from you the lessons each week that you give us father we are praying that your word in Isaiah, your promise in Isaiah 55, 11 will come to pass, absolutely. Where you promise that that word of yours that goes forth will accomplish your purpose. And not only will it accomplish, accomplish, but it will prosper in the thing whereunto you send it. So, Father, once again this morning, here we are. Your sheep sitting at your feet, listening to your word, desiring to be fed, desiring to be led, all for one purpose, that your name may be great among us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue this morning 
And we've already said in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus of Christ, God has accomplished all that was necessary for our union with Christ. Now, remember, at this point, we are emphasizing the umbrella that we're emphasizing the theological understanding that we are in union with Christ, that everything God is doing is for the purpose of uniting us to his son so that in our being united to the son of God, all that the father has for the son, has given the son as an inheritance, remember Psalm 2. All of the love that the father has for the son, all is also now shared with us. We become partakers of what God has now conferred upon this risen man as he is our representative, as he has substituted for us at the cross as our representative. And now as he is sitting in the throne of God as our divine representative. And so we're talking about the work of the Lord Jesus in applying or implementing this eternal union that God has decided that we would be a part of. Now, Jesus in the heavens, this heavenly man, this divine God-man, is now in the process, as we talk about it, of implementing this eternal union. And as I said, one day we're going to have to go some background on that, but not right now. So everything has been accomplished as to our union in Christ by the time we come to the resurrection, correct? But remember, if we stop at the resurrection, which is typical, I heard a preacher the other day extolling the work of Christ and the activity and, you know, the death of Christ, great, the cross and the burial and then the resurrection, and he stopped. He stopped. What's wrong with that? In the resurrection... God has fully, finally, and forever accomplished every aspect of his purpose for humanity in the human, I'm sorry, in the human nature of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Everything has been accomplished. But it is only set at this time in the resurrection in one man. In one man. But you see, God's purpose in creating humanity was not that just one man would be related to him in a father-son relationship, but that what? A multitude of people, a nation of people, correct? You remember Genesis 1.28. Do what? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. Subdue and rule what? The whole earth. So that as Habakkuk 2.14, I think it's 2.14, the prophet says from the Holy Spirit, so that the earth may be what? Filled with the glory of God. That is accomplished in one man and is residential and reality in one divine human being on the day of the resurrection. 
But because God's purpose is not just that there be one, but that there be a, 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 a nation, what has to happen? <clears throat> that one man has to be authorized to implement God's eternal plan and purpose for all his people. Therefore, that one man must ascend to the throne of God and be exalted and installed as God's priestly king and prophet. So as that divine priestly king prophet, now this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been given God's authority to implement God's eternal plan, which in Christ has been fulfilled completely. But now he's ready to do what? Pour it out upon all his people. Correct? So you see 1 John 3, 1. What does it say? See what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. Has poured out his love upon us. When does that happen? It begins when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. So having been given all authority by the Father, Jesus now will send the Holy Spirit into the world to begin his rule. The application of the sovereignty of God and the people of, of God who previous to this have been under the rule of the God of this world because Adam gave the authority of rulership which God had given him. He hands it over to Satan when he disobeys God in Genesis 3.6. And so Satan is now the God of this world. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 4. But the Holy Spirit will come and apply the rulership, the kingship, if you would, the lordship, the sovereignty of God in humanity in this man, Jesus Christ. And he will apply it to his people, thus rescuing them out of the kingdom of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of God's dear son. What verse is that? Colossians 1.13. Some of this, it's in here, but I, sometimes I don't travel according to these notes. And I have to be careful not to get ahead of myself. And so, having been given all authority by the Father. Remember, when was all authority? When did Jesus state I've been given all authority? Matthew 28.18. Jesus now will send the Holy Spirit into the world to begin his rule. How? By bringing his people into their eternal union with Christ. And I want you to remember Ephesians 1.4, talking about before the foundation of the world, and we'll talk about that little more detail next week. Now, this morning, before discussing how the Spirit brings us into our eternal union with Christ, because typically when we talk about the Holy Spirit, especially in charismatic or Pentecostal churches, what we wrongly do, what we wrongly do, is make the Holy Spirit the emphasis. We make the Holy Spirit the priority where Holy Spirit does not make himself the emphasis. And we have to be very careful what God is doing by sending the Holy Spirit. There is a purpose behind this. So let's talk about that a little bit this morning. Now, by the way, am I deprecating, you know, putting down the Holy Spirit? Am I doing that? 
No, we're just talking this morning about the primary purpose of God giving the Holy Spirit. The primary purpose. The primary purpose of the ascension is the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose for his people, correct? Bringing it to us. What is that? That his glory, that the glory of God the Father would be displayed in his people. And the only way the glory of God the Father can be displayed in his people is that his people be united to the Son in whom the glory of the Father is now displayed in the humanity of this risen man. Do we, did we get that? Did we get that? The purpose of the ascension in sending the Holy Spirit is that God's eternal purpose and plan and will and desire and decree is that his essential glory, the Father's glory, will be set in and set upon and dwells in and is manifested in and through a people. But that can only happen when those people are united to the risen Son of God. Why? Because the glory of God has now been set in and upon this heavenly man. Do you see in the resurrection and in the ascension, the glory of God now is set in humanity. Do we see that? Are you with me on this? I want to make sure you're with me. The glory of God is now set in humanity. But where in humanity? In only what? One man. Only one man. So that as God's people by the Spirit are gathered into Christ, then the same glory that God has shared and has deposited in his risen Son will now be deposited and trans- I'm sorry, not transferred, manifested in the people who are in union with the risen Son. We have to get this. Because you see, it, the truth of the matter is that anything and everything, <clears throat> may I repeat that, Mike? Anything and everything of my life in union with Christ is about God. It's about God. Anything and everything, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, is about the glory of God. So something's happening in your life. Someone sins against you. Someone does something terrible against you, Andy. It's terrible. It really is. It's terrible. Our first thought, naturally speaking and understandable, I don't know if I'm going to get through the lesson today. Understandably, the first thing we think about or the first thing that comes to mind, good morning, Steve. The first thing that comes to mind is what? Me. Is that right? Is that normal? Yes, it's normal, right? Anton, correct? Oh, you're with me. Warren, is that right? Phyllis, it's you. Porter, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's me. That's normal, natural. But when that happens, the danger is this. That when we become the focal point of what has happened, what was said... The circumstance, 
We immediately become the focus. But then if we allow that focus to remain on me, it becomes an idolatry. And that issue, whatever it is, will then begin to corrupt us. So that when the issue brings me to bear, do you understand that? Me, my, I. As believers, what should we do immediately? How long? Immediately. How long? Immediately. One more time, Bill. How long? Immediately. Immediately. What should we do? Make a decision to focus the issue on God. So when people come into my office and there's, let's say, a, a disruption of the relationship, husband and wife, or uh, child and parent, or whatever it is, whatever it is, for whatever reason, whatever's happening, the most important, the, my primary responsibility as a pastor is to f- make sure through a process of speaking and sharing and asking and listening that by the end of that meeting, that person or those persons leave that office with the glory of God in view primarily. Amen? Otherwise, Mount, it's an idolatry that will destroy you. If you let yourself and promote yourself and think about yourself and stroke yourself in whatever the issue You will be an easy target for the corrupting activity of Satan. I don't know why I said that. Maybe folks needed to hear it. But that didn't count for the notes. So, you see, look at Isaiah 43, 7. It may be in your notes. Everyone who is called by my name, this is Yahweh speaking. You know who Yahweh is? Lord. Remember in your Old Testament, the word L-O-R-D? Lord, Yahweh. 6,300 times, Yahweh, 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 the God of glory. Everyone who's called by my name, those are believers. We're called by God's name. Amen? Romans eight twenty eight. you see that. Whom I created, why? For my glory. My purpose in life is Genesis one twenty six for the glory of God as an image bearer. Do you see how it all comes together and is a unit and a comprehensive revelation? This means that God sent his son and sent his son into the world to save a people. Why? For his glory. So that in a people, the greatness, the glory, the magnificence, the incredible unspeakableness of who this God is. In his nature as a triune God and in his character may be experienced in me and may be expressed through me, out of me, to everyone else. So when the world sees and hears and smells and comes alongside, etc. of me, they may be struck by what? The presence of God himself. What I would like to have happen in my life in a greater way, in a greater way, is that I would remember these things when I'm driving down the street and someone does something or I'm at home and my wife says something I don't appreciate or when someone, whatever it is, 
I'd like to remember this all the time. How many of you with me on this? Yes, yes. The problem is I'm just forgetful. And it's not because I'm almost 76 years old. It's because I'm a human being who is almost 76 years old. That complicates the matter. Ron, you're the only one older than I am, so I know you can say amen. Thank you. You see, as a result, I'm not even finished the first page and before page notes. As a result, it's so important. It's so important because we have lived for so many years as human beings. Who has lived as a human being in this room? Everybody. And we are sown from the moment of our conception until the moment of our death. We are sown in the flesh. We have fleshly bodies that absolutely 100% have me in mind. My, I, me, uh, you know, did you get it? And I am the primary issue and everything is for me. It is sown into us by the flesh. We can't get away from it unless you get out of your body. Can't get away from it. But in the ascension, the primary benefactor. Oh, let me say this. Let me go back a little bit. In creation... Throughout the Old Testament, in the conception of Jesus, in the life of the incarnate Son of God, in the death of the incarnate Son of God, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension. Have I left out anything? The primary beneficiary of it all is the Father. All of it for the Father's glory. Do we see that, Rosa? Do we understand that, Butch? Natalie? Not Natalie, it's Natalie. Do we understand that? It's all about God. It's all for God and from God. If you don't learn anything else in this class, I want you to know this. Everything is about God, for God, and from God. Everything. Everything whatsoever. Always has been, is, and always will be. Let this begin by the Spirit to permeate our souls. And this was the zeal, you see, of Jesus' life. Remember John 2, 17, zeal for thy house has, hath consumed. This is Jesus' zeal. Not a zeal to save a people in and of themselves. We're not the object of the zeal of Jesus. As some preachers teach. We're not the object of God's zeal, Todd, right? We're the means of displaying his zeal. And the purpose through which his zeal is accomplished, don't you see? What is this zeal that Jesus came to fulfill and it consumed him? That my father may be glorified in these people whom I'm going to redeem by my blood. Eddie, that's the zeal. That's the zeal, Perry. That's the zeal of Jesus. That's the zeal. Why? Because why was it Jesus' zeal? Because, and we went through this a while back, because it was the Father's zeal. 
Listen to what Jesus says in John 17 in this great prayer. I just have parts of the prayer in mind where I'm accentuating the word glory. Listen to this. John 17. You may have it in your notes, do you? Okay, good. The Father, Father, he's praying. This is, they've been in the upper room. They walk out. They go into a garden, across the brook, Kedron. Jesus prays. And after this John 17 prayer, Jesus then goes into the garden of Gethsemane. That's the time frame. The upper room, cross the brook, Kedron, pray, and then Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane. This is not Gethsemane. Gethsemane comes after this. This prayer is preparation for Gethsemane. Father, the hour has come. What? What does he say? Glorify me. Your son, that what? Why glorify the son? That the son may glorify you. No, wait. Is not the son of God already in his essence as to his divine nature, always glorified with the father's glory? Yes. So does this mean that the son of God in his essence, the divine son of God in himself, has lost some glory? No. Must be given some glory? No. Jesus is speaking, the Son of God is speaking in, as to the incarnate human nature. So the Son may be glorified as to his humanness, as to his humanity. And in that humanity being glorified, we also will be glorified because we will be joined with him in his return. All right, now, sorry, when the Holy Spirit is given. Amen? Since you have given him authority over all flesh. Remember? All authority has been given to me. Why? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. I glorified you on earth. How? How? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Obedience. Obedience. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, in these verses, the incarnate Son prays that his humanity may be glorified with the same glory that he had as the eternal Son, I should have put, before the foundation of the world. Why? Because in glorifying the humanity of the Son, the Father's glory will be also set upon us in the return of Jesus. So what is the central ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is the central ministry in God authorizing Jesus to send the Holy Spirit? That God the Father may be what? Glorified in us. That's the reason the Holy Spirit is sent. The Holy Spirit is not sent to make himself known or to say something or proclaim something about himself. The Holy Spirit comes to proclaim, establish, and manifest the glory of the Father as it has been set into the humanity of Christ. 
Do we have that? Do we see that? That's what's happening. That's why the Holy Spirit has been sent into the world. You say, well, the Holy Spirit has been sent to give us power. Yes. To give us gifts. Yes. But all of those are not the primary reason. Those are the ways that the Holy Spirit accomplishes the display of the glory of God. Let's not make this the, 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 not, you know, the means the primary purpose. Do we see that? Too many of us, too many churches, whatever, make the means of the purpose the purpose. So the activity of the Spirit is the means by which the Spirit accomplishes God's purpose of being glorified in his people. We want to make sure we distinguish the two and not confuse them so we can better understand, appreciate, conform to, or cooperate with, etc., the work of the Holy Spirit. So now let's go through the rest of this. I think now we can better understand the central ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember on the night that Jesus was arrested, he tells them this in John fourteen eighteen. He's been telling them, I'm going away, I'm going away. And of course, they're upset. Can you imagine what these men must have felt when Jesus says, I'm leaving? Have any of you had been with anyone who is absolutely so important to you that if that person leaves, I die. Have you ever felt that way? No? Some of us have. I don't know how I can continue without. And this is how they feel on going away. But he also says, I'm going to come back. Now, I want you to remember 1418 of John. I am coming back. Remember John 14, 1 through 3, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus' promise is, I'm coming back. How does he come back? How does Jesus come back? Come on. I've been talking about it for 45, 40 minutes. How does Jesus come back? By the Holy Spirit. And why must Jesus come back? Because resident in this man is the glory of God. And in order for the glory of God to be resident in us, Jesus must come back to us. How? By the Spirit of God. I want to make sure we see how the Trinitarian work is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How will Jesus come to them? Jesus will come to us in the person of the Spirit. John 15, 26, very important verse. The Spirit will bear witness about me. In other words, the Spirit will manifest me. Me. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of Christ. So why does Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Here, in giving us the Spirit, get this, this is it. This is it. In giving us the Spirit, Jesus gives us himself. And in giving himself to us, we also receive the Father. 
the Spirit isn't given to us just to have the Spirit. The only way we receive the person and work of Christ and therefore the glory and presence of the Father is by the Holy Spirit. So why is the Holy Spirit going to be sent by Jesus? Because in giving Holy Spirit to us, whom is Jesus giving to us? Himself, therefore what? The Father. Do we see this? Central. I believe if you ask most believers, why is the Holy Spirit given? This isn't going to come up very much. And yet this is the root out of which all the fruit will grow. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And we would say, Ken, well, Jesus is coming back in the Perusa. Remember the, what, eschaton, the, what, second return. He's coming back. Hallelujah, Eric, he's coming back. He's already here. How? By the Spirit. Patsy, he's here. He's here. Having the Spirit, we have Christ himself. Therefore, we have the Father. Listen to this, Colossians 1, 7, 27. Christ in us, the hope of the Father's glory. The hope of the glory. Jesus says in John 14, 23. We, Jesus talking about we, the Father, the Father and I, we. Will come to him and make our abode or our dwelling or our home with him. When? When? When the Holy Spirit is given. So the central significance of the giving of the Holy Spirit in uniting us to Christ is unite us to the person of Christ. And being united to the person of Christ, the Father's glory is displayed in us because we are united then to the Father relationally. So what is the basis of our union with Christ? The basis of our union with Christ is Christ's union with the Father. If I were to ask, faith is the basis of our union with Christ. I think many would say yes, but that's not true. The basis... Remember what, you know, the difference in, in meaning and understanding and purpose. The basis of our salvation, the basis of our union, the basis of God's glory in me and in you is what? The completed, victorious work of Christ. That's the basis. The means of bringing us into Christ is by faith. Do we see the difference? The basis upon which we are saved is nothing in or about ourselves. It all is residential in the person and work of Christ. But then God gives us what? The means of saying yes to that, which is called faith. Can we make a distinction here? Because too many believers believe that I'm in Christ because 
I said yes to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's not right. No, no, that ain't right. You in Christ because Jesus died for you and purchased your salvation. That's why you in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's not make it about us. And then we come into the good of it through God's blessed gift of faith, which is not our work. Ephesians 1, 9. I'm sorry, 2, 9. Do we see that? Do we see this? Okay, thank you. I don't know who said that, but it, it sounded like Rick Vega, but maybe not. You see, therefore, I'm going to get through it. The wonder and majesty of the work of the Holy Spirit is not principally about the Spirit, but about the Father as manifested in the Son who dwells in us by the Spirit. Can you say amen to God? What? Amen. If the saints won the Super Bowl, we'd be on the walls. Therefore, the wonder and majesty of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is not principally about the Holy Spirit, but it is principally about the Father as manifested in the Son who dwells in us by the Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. Yes. Oh, that we would leave this class, not only today, but leave this, you know, these classes knowing one thing principally. It's all for God from God and about God. And let that be the truth that controls every single issue in my life. The Spirit is sent so we would know the Son and therefore the Father. John eight nineteen. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. By the word, that word knew is gnosis, which has to do with a, an experiential knowing of. John 17, 3, we've already said this. This is eternal life, what? That they may know, personally, relationally know, an intimate fellowship, that they may know me, that they may know you, talking to God, Jesus said, what? The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Because we cannot know the Father apart from the Son. So in people in the world, when they say they know God and they don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, they don't know what they're talking about. And do not accept that. Now, you may not feel like arguing or whatever the point, but don't accept it. The only way to have fellowship with the Father is through the Son by the Holy Spirit. It is a Trinitarian work. All three persons of the Godhead are always involved in everything about God. Always. All three persons. There's no such thing as anything about God or any work of God that only involves one person of the Trinity. It's not happening. There's no unilateral work of one person of the Trinity and and, uh, excluding the others. All three are always involved. So what is our greatest occupation? We could say this in many ways, and I think there are various things we could put on the table as our greatest occupation. We could have several things that would probably be pretty equal. But what have we said this morning? This is an issue about our identity. 
isn't it? But our identity in Christ only secondary to God's identity in me. There's a lot of teaching, and rightly so, about our identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, and what you have in Christ. Is that wrong? No. But it is unbalanced and misplaced to some degree if it doesn't start with and is grounded in who is this God who lives in me? Who are you? So I want to end it this way. Be preoccupied intentionally this week, not with you, not with your issues, not with what you need, not with anything. Be preoccupied intentionally. You'll have to get intentional about this, and you're going to have to stop doing that and then do something else with this. Hey, Darren, make this your preoccupation. Who is this God who lives in me? Who are you? Philippians 3.10. Oh, that I may know him. Let this be your preoccupation this week. Who are you? Oh, that I may know you more. Who are you? Who is this God? Who is this God who lives in us? Who is he? Let that be your preoccupation rather than anything and anyone else. Let this be your preoccupation this week. Even if all your prayer life is absolutely set aside except for this. Because you see, we don't pursue this personal God sufficiently. We pursue things about us and for us too often to the neglect to who is this grand God in us. Amen? Let this be your preoccupation in prayer and in worship and in anything. Who are you? Oh, Philippians 3.10, that I may know you. Oh, make yourself known to me deeper, wider, higher, more powerful. You, 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 you. That's our preoccupation. Then all the other preoccupations will find their resolution in the revelation and experience of who this God is in me and in you. Amen? Next week, read the first, well, read the whole chapter, Genesis 24, that will put into some kind of a context what we'll be doing next week, Genesis 24. Thank you.